Good afternoon. It's August 4th, 2016. On today's program of Real People of Orange County, as I fill in for Kimberly Martin, my name's Claudia Shamba. My guest, it'll be full pleasure to have on, performer and professor Robin Buck with all that he can say about his 35 years of stage experience in very diverse roles and how that enriches his students at UCI. Then we'll go behind the scenes with costume manager Julie Keene Leavenworth. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, won't you? Thank you, everybody, for staying tuned. That was Bill Beach, pianist out of Portland, Oregon, with People. My first guest for this program is Robin Buck, not the NASCAR racer, not the fitness expert, but the 35-year veteran of the stage locally, regionally, and internationally, and professor at UCI's Claire Trevor School of the Arts Drama Department. He has performed standard and contemporary operatic roles with companies throughout the U.S. and Europe, including New York City Opera, Los Angeles Opera, Theater Basel, Opernhaus Zurich in uh, Switzerland, and the National Theater in Mannheim, Germany. A veritable product of Southern California, Robin Buck grew up in, L in Long Laguna Beach, completed his undergraduate work at Chapman University, and his master's degree at USC. Prior to joining the faculty at UCI, Robin Buck was director of opera and instructor of voice at Chapman University and California State University, Long Beach, and instructor of voice at Jazzschule at uh, Basel in Switzerland. Today, we get to explore the cornucopia of his critically acclaimed roles and contributions on the stage the world round, and how he translates that into the classroom. He joins me in studio today Welcome to the show, Robin Buck. Thanks, Claudia. Good to be here. It's a long-awaited treasure. I'm so glad Kimberly could, couldn't be here so I couldn't be here with you. <laughs> well, let's start from the beginning about your education, Robin. Where did you really get it? I mean, we understand there's methods and there's theory you get at school, but where, where as well did you get your education? Was it more the live stage? I'd say that certainly I owe an awful lot to my public education. Um, both in the Laguna Beach schools back when Prop 13 um, was not around and we had funding for the arts in the schools, but also uh, at university, at Chapman University, back when it was a small, <laughs> a small place. Um, I had some great teachers, both uh, in public school and then at university and graduate school. I had really some great mentors um, in addition to my voice instructors, acting teachers, um, professional mentors, including Placido Domingo, Birgit Nielsen, Hans Hotter. Um, I, I had a lot of great opportunities to learn from really the greats in Those in are my the field. greats. Birgit Nielsen, what did she teach you? Folks, if you don't know, she was a Wagnerian soprano, and she, uh, she, big in the 50s and the 60s, but she was but coaching and teaching into the late 70s. 
Yeah, it's it's ironic because um, two of the great Wagnerians of the past century, Hans Hotter and Birgit Nielsen, um, mentored me and and I coached with them. And I've never I say it's ironic because I've never performed Wagner on the stage in concert. Yes, but but not on the stage. Oh, that is wow. How did you meet Birgit Nielsen? Um, I met her while I was doing a master class. In, and in, in Southern California? In, in Malibu, actually. That's, she was getting away from the German winners. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I, sang, I sang for her, and she said to the audience, this is one of the greatest compliments I've oh. ever had. She said, finally, a singer who sings from his heart. And I, of course, took that to heart. And uh, we were in contact for years. And every time she was in New York or on the West Coast, I, I would go and study with her. And um, she was actually an incredible technician. If you know her singing, you can, yes. you can imagine that. Um, but she was a, a fine technical teacher. And um, as far as Hans Hotter goes, I met him when I was at the Franz Schubert Institute in Austria in its very first year. This is a um, program, a training program in the summer outside of Vienna. And a a veritable who's who of German leader singers. German leader meaning German songs. Song, yeah, art song, um, including... Um, Ellie Ameling, uh, Hans Hotter, um, Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau wow. came and got ill and didn't teach. But uh, a huge, huge number of, of incredible people who I had admired for years. And um, so I was among the first group of students in this program. And three, now let's see. Yeah, three years ago, um, in its oh, I, I, 30th year, I think, I went back as a faculty member. Oh, wow. And Alumni turned faculty. <laughs> yeah. And Ellie Ameling was still there, still teaching, wow. still incredible. A marvel. Well done. Did you know you had heart when you were, were there auditioning and and learning away in that setting? Well, I mean, or you were just, you just felt at, you were at home singing there. I was at, I was at home, but I also, I've always been aware that, that my gift is, is not having the most beautiful voice in the world or the biggest voice in the world. Um, my career has always been because I think I make a connection with the text, with the role, and try to express that rather than just make beautiful sound. Well, you know, in, in some of the the glimpses that I've had of your performances, I'd say I've seen probably about four or five different, different, completely different roles. When I'm, and you're a damn good sport on stage with everybody. I mean, you, you've played some. I mean, there have been some outrageous roles, and you're, you're. That's that's part of the heart too, is being a good sport. Oh yeah, but but that's also the fun of it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Wow, what a marvel. Well, so 
Uh, you're a baritone now. How how old have how grown do you have to be before you're actually a baritone, Robin? Oh, well, um, hmm. As really, as soon as my voice changed when I was uh, a before kid, before twenty, yeah. Um, I I sang baritone. It's it, just a range, and of course, within each range, baritone. Uh, tenor, bass, etc. There are these different um, hmm, categories uh, that, say, for instance, I'm I'm a lyric baritone. Yes. Um, but have done a lot of dramatic roles, just as Tom Hampson. Uh, if you know Thomas Hampson, he's really a lyric baritone, but he's sung a huge variety of roles that are often sung by more dramatic voices. So lyric is when you're singing the poetry at the It's it's a quality I'm sorry okay. to interrupt. It's a it's a quality of of voice. So uh and because it's a it's a certain quality, maybe a little warmer, not as cutting, not as uh perhaps a big a voice. Certain opera roles are written specific for that that kind of sound. Like chamber music versus orchestra? Not um, even that. Not even that. Uh, within the opera world, um, there it, it's really incredible. There are really tight little subsections mm -hmm. of of singers that that uh, specialize in certain roles. So a certain composer will have in mind. Uh, a certain type of voice in order to portray uh, a specific role. Um, I would say that, that I've really broken out of that mold Yes. because of the variety of interests I have. Um, so I've, I've played a wide variety, really nice guys, <laughs> comic roles to complete uh, whack jobs, I'd say. <laughs> and you've, I think you've seen some of those. Right, right. Uh, well, well, we may get to some of those in the lineup <laughs> there. So along the way, you, you had a solo debut at Carnegie Hall, and everybody talks about that's a defining moment. You've really arrived when you get to do that. Was that what, was it like that for you? It, you were it there was, with the city of Birmingham? Symphony. It was pretty amazing. Um, this is after I had moved to New York, I moved to New York City. Actually, I'd been a resident artist at at um, L.A. Opera, and that's where I met Placido. And he was a great help in preparing me for my New York City Opera debut as Silvio in Pagliacci. And shortly before I I did that, I had auditioned for Simon Rattle. Sir Simon Rattle, who conducted um, this tour with the City of Birmingham Symphony and was hired to sing that tour. The, their first American tour coincided with the 200th anniversary of, uh, uh, sorry, not 200th anniversary, the, the centennial. Centennial for, the, for of, Carnegie. For Carnegie Hall. And that was an amazing experience. And it, it, everything they say about the acoustic it's home. Is, yeah, it's it's true. Did you feel a little reverie need like you here you are or you just thought no this is I have every I'm ready 
and I'm going to use everything that's in front of me. Oh, yeah. After the concert, I felt like, okay, I could be hit by a bus and, and perfectly happy. <laughs> well, thank goodness <laughs> that never happened because there's so many roles after that. Well, very good. Well, um, I, I guess when I talk with somebody with such an extensive career, I, I want to know whether those roles, are you looking for them or do they find you? How does that work? Well, you know, when you're starting out, you audition for everything. And you, know, you do, in a year, maybe 50 auditions, and you're lucky if you get two or three of those. Um, I, I've been pretty lucky with the number of roles I've gotten out of auditions. And when you're starting out, you, you don't really have the ability or the luxury to turn things down. I've been fortunate that I've been offered roles that were appropriate for me. And up through when I went to Europe, that, that was the case. I think when I was under contract in Basel, Switzerland, at the Opera House, there was one role that I was assigned that just was not appropriate for me. It was in, what was it? It was in Lulu by Berg. And Alban, Al Alban, Alban Berg, Berg. yeah. And this was uh, a version that had been finished by by this conductor, uh, Friedrich Cherha, very famous man, and he was conducting it. And I got asked to do these two roles uh, in the prologue, the Tio Bendiger, the, the, the animal trainer. It's a great part, really great. I could sing the hell out of that. Uh, and enjoyed that. But because it was Cherha, they were doing the third third act, and this other role goes hand in hand, and it's uh, Rodrigo, the athlete, and it's a bass. It's a bass role. It's completely out of my range. Yeah. I gave it the old college try and learned it and, and sang it and uh, in rehearsal, and I, I just told the company that, look, I'm not going to have a success. You're not going to have a success. So thankfully, they found somebody else to do it. So you're, when you're talking about appropriate, it's just out of your range. Yeah. I mean, yeah. appropriate, it's not like it was the character didn't fit you no. or anything like that. I don't, so I don't think I've ever turned, anything. No, I, I don't think I've ever turned down a role because I didn't like the character. Uh, you can always find something interesting or... Uh, redeeming or something. Redeeming or cathartic about playing a role. So, Well, uh, when, what was interesting, you, you played Leon Klinghoffer. You knew I yeah. was going to bring that up, right, Robin? And so uh, that you performed the title role with the Long Beach Opera Association. It's been about a year and a half ago, I think. Mm -hmm. It wasn't allowed in New York. Um, uh, Peter Gelb had to pull it. They, there were too many, but you were able to, that show went on in L.A. I don't know how long that run was. It was about at least two or three weeks. It was just two performances. Two, only two. Oh. Yeah, only two. That's all they could afford. It was in a very large venue, and um, it's a, it calls for a huge orchestra, a very expensive, large cast, and quite quite a production. It It was a production that was imported from St. Louis, 
Okay. And the director came came with that. Um, incredible experience. It had never been done in Southern California. L.A. Opera had originally co-commissioned it, and they they never had the nerve to produce it. So uh, Long Beach produced it, and the Met ap- just afterwards also produced it. They had to pull the radio uh, and television broadcast, or I guess it was the HD broadcast oh, that okay. they pulled because of of uh, complaints and, and protests. But the production went on. And interesting enough, people in L.A., um, it was not such a controversy. People were open to at least having discussion about it. And we we did quite a quite a number of community outreach oh, okay. discussions. It's preemptive. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not sure if all listeners un- know about this. It's John Adams wrote this opera and it was looking at the the Achille Laro cruise that uh, Leon Klinghoffer and other American tourists were on in was it the late 1970s or no, early 80s. No, I think it was 80, 86. Eight, I think eight, it middle was around eight. Okay, there. 86 and it it was a catastrophe in terms of the the P, uh, it wasn't a PLO. It no, was it, a it was a, a guerrilla Palestinian cell that mm-hmm. that um, commandeered the cruise ship, and uh, they made an example of Leon Klinghoffer, who was uh, was in his seventies. He had he was in his uh, a wheelchair, a confined is the word I want, confined yeah. to the wheelchair. So uh, he was shot, and then shoved over the side of the ship. And it's As was his wheelchair. And, and in his chair, right. Oh, oh yeah. They, they shot him, threw him overboard, and then threw his wheelchair. So it's a, it's a lot of work that the production is going through, the members of the cast, and as well as the audience. I don't, who's, I don't know who's working harder. Everybody is. I think every, in different I, ways. Everyone works hard to come, come to that. I think one of the controversies that... I heard about the production is that either side didn't really want to look at the humanity behind the other side. The other side, and that's, that's what I think the opera does. Doesn't draw conclusions. It shows what happens happened, and it also shows what has led to that conflict was it so you did it twice so mm-hmm. what what um, going into it was that a, a real draining kind of preparation and a, a it, you, you had well, to remain seated and it's very difficult to project as a professional performer seated the whole time but how did that so how did all those pieces work out well it, it was a challenge finding that physicality you know he he did not have um the use of of his right side. So he was paralyzed on the right. And um, it's, a, it's a very interesting um, exploration of physicality or lack thereof. And I did quite a bit of research about it, mm-hmm. um, worked with a physical therapist, and also- <laughs> <The> Backward. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh-huh. backward, yeah. And of course, a lot of a lot of 
um, research about the Leon Klinghoffer himself. The I mean, nervous it's, tics it's always things. a great responsibility to play someone, uh, a role that is based on a real person. Mm-hmm. You yes. don't have, have the same kind of license that you might when you're creating a role or creating a role from, from fiction. For those who, of you who've just joined us, uh, this is Claudia Shamba. I'm substituting today, filling in for Kimberly Martin. This is Real People of Orange County. And our guest is the inestimable Robin Buck. He is on the UCI Claire Trevor School of the Arts drama faculty, and he is a worldwide, nationally critically acclaimed uh, performer. And we're talking about a role, the lead role in the John Adams production that he, um, that he sang in. A uh, couple of years ago, now uh, the um, Leon, is it called the the death of the, Klinghoffer. The death of Klinghoffer. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, um, when and working on that role, so there's so much. I guess what you talked about the 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 voice instructors, coaches, um, <clears throat> and I. I guess I'd also like to have you talk about maybe some of your your favorite or the ones you've learned a great deal from the directors and your Andreas. I don't ever know how he's Austrian. Mitisek. Mitisek, yeah. Uh, Andreas, um, he's the the Long Beach Opera Association impresario and conductor. So I I don't know uh, how he figures in, but he's also a very fine stage director. And one of my favorite roles <laughs> I've done was the premiere, the U.S. premiere of Stuart Copeland's of you know the drummer and founder of the Police. Stuart wrote an opera based on Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. And of course, that story is all narrative from the perspective of one person. And I played this this guy named Edgar. And it was great working with Andreas. We came up with such an interesting uh, perspective. It was not uh, period production like they had done in London. It had been done one one place before it at Covent Garden and a very traditional 19th century production of it. But um, this was set in a real seedy motel in L.A. Perfect. With um, prostitution and drugs and uh, cops on the take and so there is some some extra singing in it, but primarily, it is this one man's descent into complete madness. And oddly enough, uh, we decided that it would be very effective for this character to be in a wheelchair and oh, wow. to be ordering his his alter ego um, to push him around and 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 get him food and beer and things like this at the end of the opera of course whether this guy really exists or not is up up for grabs but anyway the whole thing was a video blog this guy telling the story of this murder and how he got away with it all on video so the whole thing my I've never seen so many screens of my myself um, simultaneous live video uh, feed 
for most of the the scenery and um as it progresses it just gets crazier and crazier i think stuart copeland did a really fine job of of finding this insanity in the piece so I'm I'm taking that that on we'll mark that up as Andres has been one you've been enjoyed collaborating with and other directors you wanted and then we're gonna transition to what you've learned from all of these people sure. and what you're bringing to the classroom with what you've done but what, any other directors you want to mention? Yeah, I I would say one of the first directors I worked with was Christopher Alden, and he and his twin brother David Alden um, are like Peter Sellers very avant-garde very, they push the envelope and that really interested me when i got that kind of freedom to create a role um and to expand and run run with suggestions from the director because they there are not directors who say okay do this is a real collaborative wow um relationship in process, right. Yeah. Right. And so I've always appreciated that as an artist. And whenever I've directed, a, uh, uh, because I've directed And that's in your credits. There, there's, we could go on YouTube. We can, we can find, go back <laughs> in the history of UCI's School of the Arts. And there you have so many direction credits. And I didn't mention those in that's, the introduction. That's fine. But I do, uh, I did learn a lot from, from working with directors like that. And some directors, you know, you work with, they're incredible, and they just tell you what to do, and you do it because you know... The dictator knows what they're doing. Yeah. I, I had one director in, in Switzerland, very famous uh, director in, in Switzerland, say, I only ask one thing of you. Don't ask me why. Okay. Just do it. <laughs> and that it worked? It evidently worked. Um, it wasn't a, such a, a fun mm. process, but yeah. sometimes you you just have to trust that the person driving the the plane knows what they're doing. So you liked where he landed the plane, yeah. The performance, okay. yeah, I think so. So Robin Buck, tell us then how you bring that all of that experience into the classroom. I take it you've got undergrads, you've got mm -hmm. graduates in the Masters of Fine Arts program, so. Are you, um, I mean, I don't know what courses you're going to be teaching in the fall in the, or in the, the rest of the academic year, 2016, 2017. But um, so how how does that come back in? Well, I remember when I was in school and I always had a little suspicion when I worked with faculty members who hadn't walked the walk. And so I always thought, okay, if I ever teach, and I was always interested in it, but I, I thought if I ever do, I'm going to come from the perspective of having done it, of having been out in the profession and continuing, thankfully, to be in the profession. Because I know that, that whatever I can tell them that is knowledge from a book is knowledge from a book. But if I can share life experience, professional experience, I think I get through to people a little bit, a little bit more. And it's also a very uh, satisfying experience 
because it's a creative process then how to teach how to find a way to convey information mm-hmm. to um, a student and I teach a, a variety of things um, I teach singing lessons now in the musical theater program uh, so the teaching of singing one-on-one is a very special situation because you know we are our instrument you have to find a way to get through to people and you can't just say okay do this and it'll be perfect you're not p- adjusting the head joint on the flute it's the what the that's pipes right. are doing in the that's body that's right because the the emotional self is involved everybody their physicality is different the way they process information is different so first you have to be I think to be a good teacher, you have to be a really good detective. Figure out how, well, I'm what they a need. Therapist, of know. course, what they need. Okay. How to get it to them. And so that's that's very satisfying. Um, the other the other courses I teach, like um, this year, I'll be teaching German and French Dixon. song literature. Okay. I in, oh. I also have taught German, French, Italian diction for singers. But it's um, the song. It's the literature. T- yeah, okay. now it's wow. now it's the literature. I also am teaching opera workshop. So um, my, my time is split between the music theater program and drama mm-hmm. and then still some classes in the music department. Okay. Well, I have... I'm going to give you an opportunity to. Um, I want you to think about what you would do. I, I have a. I have a complete project for you that I. Oh, great! I would like to pitch the next opera. I want John Adams to write the music. Uh, those ostinati are going to be important, and I want Maureen Dowd of the New York Times, the editorial writer. I want her to write the liberato, libretto. Excuse me, libretto, and I want you to be in the title role of the 2016 GOP nominate. <laughs> oh, man. I, th- I think everybody's up to it. I, th- I I think that that is a great, great idea. Can you imagine? Well, all right. So I, if anybody's listening, the, the idea is already out there now. But that's that was one of my last thoughts I had about what I want to make sure mm-hmm. we cover. But I don't, is, there, is there a pet project? You're just dying to have somebody say, we're going to do this, Robin Buck, are you in? You know, there there are all sorts of things I'd, I'd yes? love to do. Okay. Um, as far as singing goes, anything I'm doing, I really love. Mm. I, I, <sighs> hmm. That's, okay, that's I'll let all, you. I'm always stumped by okay, that. Okay, I understand. Um. Just, I I elevator. do really enjoy uh, doing more plays. Like, what was it? A year, Not musicals, year and a half but ago. Plays. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I had always done plays when I was uh, in school and and such. And um, interestingly, um, just started getting hired to sing. I had always uh, trained to be an actor alongside my singing and I started getting work as a singer and kind of ran with that until the end of grad grad school and I had 
a problem and lost my voice. Oh, really? I had to relearn how to speak and eventually how to sing. Like an infection or something? It was. I don't want to get into it. No, it's not a nodule, but similar. And it came on because of, of I had a virus and kept performing. And after a while, I, I, after some months, I noticed that, that my voice just didn't feel the same. And um, sure enough, there, there was a, a problem. And so I, I took some time off. And <laughs> at, at that time, that's, that's when I started uh, studying acting for the camera and was fortunate to get some SAG work wow. as an actor. And then my voice came back and, and picked up my opera career after that. So, wow. so okay. I, I really enjoyed doing Big Daddy in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. That was a year that, and a half yep, ago. I remember year. that role. Yeah. And, well um, done. So I, I'm at the point in my career that I can turn down things, right? That's a great luxury. But there's really nothing... I could imagine turning down right now, so. Okay. I, I guess that's the answer to your. Well, we'll, uh, well I'll keep asking that yeah. though at uh, at uh, various times as we continue to meet up and that kind of thing. So, uh, for those of you who've just joined us, th- this is Real People of Orange County, Claudia Shambaugh, subbing, filling in for Kimberly Martin, and we're wrapping down the interview I'm having with Robin Buck, who is a performer and faculty member here at Claire Trevor School of the Arts. And it's an expansive, it's 35 years as we were talking about before. And for those of you who want to get a little taste of Robin's sound, the Mozart Monday series will, he will wrap it with the UC, with UCI's New Swan Shakespeare Festival's New Swan String Quartet. And I don't know, you don't have to tell us what you're gonna sing, but this will be scheduled on August 15th yeah, a week from Monday. A week from Monday. So for people who want to find out more about that, you can go to the newswanshakespeare.com for for tickets. I'm sure there might be a few left, maybe. And I'll quickly give the number 949-824-8062. That's for the exact time it starts and uh, all, all the kinds of contributions there. So any projects that you have on the horizon? You told us a little bit about the coursework next year, but as we wrap it up here, what... Well, You'll be te- first, what other uh, projects? I, I did want to yes. put in a, a plug about the um, new Swan. Yes. So this string quartet that I'm working with, they're all members of the L.A. Phil. Yeah, that's right. Incredible yeah. players. Um, I have a rehearsal with them next week up up in, um, uh, oh, at the Hollywood Bowl. You'll go to them. Oh, you're going to yeah. be, oh, oh, I so, see. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Great. And it's, uh, I'm singing five different arias from Mozart operas. Mozart was the very first opera composer I ever sang. And first opera I ever sang was The Magic Flute. Oh, really? Which one? Which role? Papageno. Papageno, okay. So you'll hear two of those arias, plus uh, an aria from Nozzi di Figaro, The Marriage of Figaro, in which I play the Count. And I think you have a recording of of a performance I, I did of that. Okay. Do you know which track it is? As we it's, go out, and it's, yeah, it's oh, it is. One. Oh, I thought mm-hmm. we were gonna. I thought it was Phantom of the Opera, but that's oh, no, another that, track. That's okay, track three. 
So we'll we'll play that as we're concluding okay. here, so everybody will know. So you've been, you, folks, you've had you've been warned. You've been introduced. He's been oh, introduced. and I know what else. Yes, what else is? I've up? been asked to do um, the lead role in in a play that's uh, going to have its premiere next um, winter. And plug away, man. So this is it. When? Where? where? You can't say anything I'll yet? get back to you on that. All right. So then, uh, folks, we're going to bring this up at, at, on Ask a Leader on my show, my regular <laughs> show, and make sure everybody knows all they need to know about that. But it's winter 2016, winter 2017. Winter 2017. Okay. So we have a little time. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's premature to spring it on community radio, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, Robin Buck, thank you c- for coming all the way down the studio and telling us, just get just teasing us a little bit about where you've been colliding and been, where you've been nurtured and the nurturing you're past paying forward uh, in this illustrious career of yours that's, that's just going great guns right now. Thank you. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you very much. That was Robin Buck, singer, actor, drama professor at UCI's Claire Trevor School of the Arts. And stay tuned after a short break, and we're going to bring on Julie Keen, and she'll talk behind the scenes about costumes. But we're, we're going to go out with this piece that Robin Buck sang again. It's it's a Mozart's it's Mozart's it's the Count's aria from the Marriage of Figaro. Okay, well, and that'll be the conclusion of the interview. Thanks again, Robin. Sure. <laughs> That was Robin Buck, the man on the mic is the man on the track there. It's wonderful. So welcome back to Real People of Orange County. I'm Claudia, as I said, filling in for Kimberly Martin. My next guest on the program is Julie Keene Leavenworth. She is a California native as well. She graduated from Cal State University, Long Beach, and she got her BA in technical theater, costume emphasis, and she's worked as a freelance costume designer and assistant designer, project manager, craftsperson, dye artist, cutter, draper, stitcher, <laughs> and now costume shop manager, where she's in charge at UCI. Her career has taken her to opera, dance, professional theater, educational theater, amusement park, and the national tour of Peter Pan, nominated for a Tony Award. Or her theater jobs have taken her to California, Indiana, Virginia, Texas, Colorado, Utah, and Illinois. Now settled in here at UCI School of the Arts since 2010. She's has been married for 25 years. There's a little <laughs> extra here. And has a nine-year-old boy who loves to play dress up at her shop. Boy, would I do. <laughs> she joins me in studio today. Welcome to Real People of Orange County, Julie Key Leavenworth. Thank you, Claudia. So why don't you then take us behind the scenes, Julie? Like, what what kind of things, what kind of textiles do you like to work with? It's with those sweaty bodies that have to put those costumes on <laughs> many shows over. Yes, we do deal a lot in sweat, this is for sure. Well, all costumers like to work with beautiful, natural fibers. That's really you have to. Yeah, silk, wool, cottons, you Linens, know. Yeah. We, we call it the P word, polyester. Try to avoid that in, at all possible, although polyesters are getting better with technology. 
and rayons, things like that. But, you know, it, it's important how they move, especially with dance. Um, it's all about movement. And breathing, I mean, and I'm thinking breathing, yes, the breathing of the the cloth. Yes, yes, yes. We we do um, we do deal a lot, like I said, with uh, you know when you're under the lights, when you're an actor under the lights, you tend to sweat, and some are worse than others, and and we try and make them as comfortable as possible. Okay, well, and I, I in preparing for this interview, I was just asking you about do the do the performers get attached? Do they uh, do they want those costumes to stay with them? And you are you are ready with what happens every time? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, in the fittings, they fall in love and they say, "Oh, can I buy this afterwards? How you know? Will you give me a deal on it?" And uh, of course, we always say, "Sure, sure." You know, half price, whatever. But then by the end of the run, you know, especially if it's like a three week or four week run. You know, yeah, it's going to be good. Do you still want to buy that? Yeah, not so much. <laughs> They're kind of over it by then. <laughs> I think they, they then associate it so much with their character and they're ready to move on. So they shed know. it. Although on television, you know, of course, a lot of the times they basically give them the wardrobe afterwards. Oh, do they so, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That is behind the scenes. A little. Yeah. More. So I'm sure that they um, take advantage of that, especially if you're just beautiful suits. You know? Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. The yeah. Suits. Yeah. Because I guess there's so many contemporary, every, yeah. yeah, business yeah. settings. Oh, and yeah. we do, you know, a lot of period, a lot of uh, strange sort of abstract esoteric work, too. So so we don't get, you know, a lot of um, requests for taking things home. Okay. All right. So, uh, and what, I'm just wondering, what kind of a pressure cooker is it to ha fit everybody Every, you got to take, I don't know if you're repurposing other costumes mm -hmm. from other productions, but you've got, I don't know how, anywhere from some, you know, six or seven to 30, 40 bodies for only one production or more. Right, right. So that must be a really intense kind of work demand on you. It is, especially when we have, in the School of the Arts, we have more than one going thing going on at once. Yes. So we'll be building a dance concert at the same time we're building a drama production. So, and the the dance productions, you know, we may have upwards of maybe 100 people in a concert. So we're, d we're doing massive fittings during the day and then, um, and then trying to squeeze in drama fittings in the openings. We try not to overlap, um, mostly because we have a small staff and and I only have so much energy. So um, uh, it's, it's challenging, um, but it's, uh, it's enjoyable. I mean, uh, I love the performers. I've always loved actors. I love dancers. They're the greatest. Um, and uh, so it's a pleasure, really. It's, uh, you know, there's so, I was trying to think on my way over here, how I could probably name on the, you know, fingers of one hand the performers or people I've worked with that are have been really unpleasant or really you know like you have a horror story about this is not that many in the arts you know they're just wonderful people so there aren't that many peacocks that you have to deal with they're no I mean there's you know there's a sentence. few that stick in your mind which who I won't mention here no no and we're not asking <laughs> but but so it's really it's a, it's pretty a marvel then that yeah, they're mostly very cooperative. Yeah, I think and they're so glad I, to work with you. I, I think guess. actors get a bad rap uh, for being, you know, temperamental and, um, uh, you know, artsy fartsy. But I think that, um, uh, generally speaking, and and my experience has been that the the bigger the name, the more gracious they are. Okay. You know, whereas the opposite, you would think it would be like the big big stars would be uh, the most. Um, difficult to deal with but that's really not true 
I think they're all very grateful to be where they are. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, I, and I guess it's in their interest that they have a good relation, a good rapport with you. Oh, you yeah. Know? You're, you're going to make it work for I them. I think they learned very early to make the costumer their friend. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, good. So I'm just wondering, have, have, is there any kind of little story that stands out with something that went completely off the rails <laughs> with some costume? For in a performance or something that's funny. I don't want I don't want exact pain, pull off scabs, but <laughs> there might be some kind of costume failure story you could tell us. There's lot there's lots of them, but uh, yeah. they're very consistent. Oh, really? <laughs> they usually involve exposure of some kind. Oh really? Yeah, uh, many many times. You know, uh, actors' pants falling down, or oh really? A woman, you know, accidentally a petticoat falls off, or uh, you know. Uh, it's usually about exposure. Um, sometimes it's happened a couple of, maybe one memorable time where an actor really didn't like his costume. And uh, he was playing Mr. Fezziwig in a production of A Christmas Carol. Oh. Hated, for whatever reason, I can't even remember, hated the the pants he was wearing, the breeches he was pantsing, uh, wearing. I think they were, uh, I think he felt like they made him look fat or something like that. You know, there's always that. And he's doing his Mr. Fezziwig dance, and down come the breeches. Um, thank goodness it was in a dress rehearsal. But, you know, he wanted to make a point that he was not happy with those pants. And they did go away, actually. So, Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, if you've just joined us here on Real People of Orange County, my guest is Julie Keen Leavenworth. She is the UCI Claire Trevor School of the Arts costume manager taking us behind the scenes and we're, we're talking well that was the costume failure thing but I and I, it's no reflection on you but it's I guess I mean people don't they like can lose weight a little bit or they could uh, I don't oh, know yeah. I wasn't thinking they're they don't become pregnant over the course of the show sure. but but they're we've things, yeah, I've dealt with that many times so it's yeah it's, yeah it's something's gonna happen yeah yeah, yeah. also or if uh, they're hurriedly putting their costume on you know for oh, the yeah. next scene and that's yeah. that's where the failure might be we had a really challenging uh, a situation uh, when I worked at South Coast Repertory Theater they uh, it was a, a new play about a, a woman who had had a mastectomy. Oh, my goodness. And they cast a woman who was brilliant, funny, wonderful actress who uh, unfortunately had just had implants uh, put in. And uh, so we had to, uh, and, and of course, she strips down in the show. And we had to make it look as though she had had a mastectomy, even though she had just had. She really had one as her character. Yes. Oh my goodness! No, she had a um, she had implants. Okay. So we had to figure out a way to uh, to sort of optically make it look as though she didn't have a breast on one side, even though it was really impossible to do that. It was really, really probably the most challenging thing you know had to deal with body type wise. So wow, how did it go? I don't think it ever really. 100% 100% succeeded, but we did the best we could, and I think it looked pretty good. Wow. But those are the kind of things we have to deal with, you know, just, oh, you, you know, um, you cast a 300-pound actor to play, you know, someone who's supposed to be 150 or something, you know, something like that. Is We get that all the time. Oh, my goodness. But that's what makes it interesting, so. Well, um, at I wanted to make sure we had a chance to talk out with great opportunity. All of us listening can uh, we can contribute to the costume department that you have an annual sale at just is I don't know if it's typically a certain 
Thursday, Friday before Halloween. But you have a Halloween costume sale where old, uh, no longer used costumes That's go true. on or parts. I still have uh, from Aristophanes the birds. I still have some bird feet at home. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> I'll be looking for you at the next sale. <laughs> if you if you need them back, I'm, I'm uh, no, it's okay. Point. Really, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I but I do. Uh, I actually wear one of your costumes. I wear it every year. Really, it's a like a, if sort of Adam's family Morticia kind of a. Oh. It's a straight long sheath, very shiny black with uh-huh. the with the crisp white collars and uh-huh. cu- and I. I scare the crap out of the kids with <laughs> that uh, bef- uh, with the whole setup I do there. Oh, that sounds great. But uh, so anyway, yes. Pitch that lovely uh, fundraiser for everybody. Yes. Well, we didn't have it last year because uh, we had done so much um, calling of our stock that we barely had uh, a box full of costumes to do. But we've been working very hard at making room for more costumes uh, in our storage spaces. So we're going to have a good, uh, I haven't told my boss yet. Hello, boss. Okay. Uh, We are going to have a Halloween sale this year. Um, We don't have a date yet. It's usually about two to three weeks before Halloween. So Uh, watch. So it's just opposite. It's the department will be down. You'll be relocating to your usual place by then. Yes. So if you are, if folks can see the, the bronze and eater in front of the Bren Center and right. just right across the street, that right. low slung office space, area. that parking area, mm-hmm. that's where people pull in. You'll have racks outside so yes. people can tell that yes. there's a sale going yes. on. Yes, and great deals abound. Very, so. very, very good yeah, deals. Yeah, we're trying to find fun stuff, not just getting rid of this sort of boring humdrum stuff, but we try and find fun stuff to get rid of too. Well, some things were not just meant for costumes. There's some. I know some people were just filling their closets for everyday wear. They really... Yeah, we have that too. So, so you know, we have like I think last year uh, when we were pulling things out, we must have, we had a donation of like twenty five Hawaiian shirts. You know, so we can really only probably use I think in the time I've been here, maybe we've used one Hawaiian shirt. So, <laughs> so you kind of discover what kind of things get used a lot and what 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 don't what doesn't. Okay. Yeah. So. Would, how would you like people to approach you about anything they can contribute to the sale? Any donations? What where uh, do they go? Yeah, well, uh, we do we do accept donations. We of course love it if they're wonderfully special somehow. If they're we had a one uh, of a kinders welcome. Yeah, a really sweet lady brought us uh, a prom dress from when she was uh, a girl. Uh, that was probably the dress was uh, probably early nineteen fifties. Just a beautiful wow. thing, and she also brought her wedding dress. Um, Wedding dresses are always nice to have. Um, um, we do, you know, contemporary stuff, not so useful. But if there's anything special in your closet you're trying to get rid of, seems like everybody these days is trying to get rid of their furs. Um, we do have a lot of fur, but it doesn't hold up very well because we don't have like a climate controlled environment to keep them in. So those are always welcome. Um, but uh, yeah, anything, anything unusual, uh, anything like period. You know, yeah, vintage uh, pre nineteen nineties, because uh, costume wise, um, uh, it's funny how there's like trends in in theater. For a while there, there were a lot of shows set in the nineteen eighties. I think maybe people that sort of trend subsided because people realized how awful the nineteen eighties were. But um, anything pre that, like seventies stuff, is fun. Of course, sixties. That's all really hard to find now. Okay, and that's because, what you could use. Yeah. All right. Well, and yeah. that's where I think um, I'm, I'm. I'm also going to plug what we can send to the the props. But I. So yes. how did they get a hold of you though? To, to 
get arranged to drop these things off to you? Um, they can reach me uh, at my office number. Should I give that out? Any way you want to be contacted. Okay. Uh, our shop number is uh, 949-824-4907. So if you have something you'd like to donate, if you can just leave a message or give me a call and be specific about what it is that you have and hopefully not be offended if I say that we've got 10,000 of those and no or you could use it for the so sale much. maybe too yes that's maybe. true or if, yeah if it's the right time yeah. you're not the storehouse yeah. for everybody's thing yeah but, but I what I like is giving things to you or to Pam Marsden is I'm uh, yes. there's some things that aren't even accepted but at the the reuse market, they won't take certain kinds of things. I found this out with props with chairs. Certain chairs I could not leave at the thrift stores, but Pam could use them. So I want to make oh. sure everybody knows you can reach Pam Marsden at P-M-A-R-S-D-E-N at UCI.edu. You can contact her about what she has a specific need right now is love seats and small end tables, she told me. So I... Want to plug that there? So it's sort of like I some things I don't want to just sort of cast out, but I want them to have a life and keep on. Right. And then that we can have it keep showing up in a scene, whether it's right. A, and yes, some things that I my uh, offspring was pitching out, and you were kind enough to <laughs> give it a home. They were they were brand new. Some of those things. Yeah. So it was good to do that. So that's everybody knows now where to send everything. Great. So, Great. All right. We'll look forward to that. Okay. Well, Julie. It's been a real pleasure having you on, talking, bringing us behind the scenes Thank about you, what's Claudia. going on Thanks. at the Claire Trevor School of the Arts. And anything else you want to make sure uh, people can't step up and do and contribute or just watch uh, for? Well, if you'd love to sew and if, you're, if you'd like to get a little experience, feel free to come by and maybe volunteer sometime. We don't normally do that, but there's always a first time, so come on by and give it a try. Okay. Oh, very good. Well, thanks, Julie, for coming to the studio today. Thank you, Claudia. All right. Well, I'm just going to give one little uh, announcement here as I close the show. That the uh, Alzheimer's Association, folks, they have Memories in the Making. It's an art therapy that they have at various uh, adult daycare that is a really terrific therapy for people with dementia. Ch the chapter is presenting... The Memories in the Making exhibit at Museo Museum in Anaheim, on view until September 14th. 241 South Anaheim Boulevard in Anaheim. You could call 714-956-8936. Or just go to musea.org and get all the information you need. This is Claudia Shambot filling in and closing for Kimberly Martin on Real People of Orange County. She'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you.